seems like I'm competing with a tequila machine over here this morning. So, uh, well, look at that. The Lord just like shut it down, just like that. Uh, so anyway, that's the things you deal with when you meet in a bar. It's all good. <clears throat> Free bar at that. So, uh, our governor has been dealing with some issues last month or so, and it has to do with the laws of our state trying to uh, change some amendments. He's been forced, like, I believe it's Rickers that's like op- has like a couple of liquor license in their convenience stores, and they've done it legally because they've worked their themselves around the law, but then everybody threw up the penalty flag and said, hey, they work themselves around the law. We need to, like, change the law. So the governor has now changed the law, and they're going to lose their liquor license at their convenience store in the next year or so. Which, So I say all that, uh, not because I care anything about that, but the whole idea of, of laws, like new laws are being made every day. Anybody know what the purpose of the law is, right? What's the purpose of the law? <laughs> you, you guys have been here way too long. These people on the front row are giving me front row answers. But what do you think the purpose of the law is? What? To control behavior, to provide safety, to cause people to do the right things because they have to be told how to behave. But the front row seems to beg to differ with that, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. That the law came along in Exodus when the Israelites were uh, freed from the Egyptians. God came along and he gave Moses what we call the Mosaic Law. That included the Ten Commandments. And so he instructed the people, this is how you behave. These things line up with my character. This is what I'm about. And so if you guys will do these ten things, I will bless you. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. If you choose not to do these ten things, then you will be cursed. You will be cursed. So you know the story is they weren't capable of keeping those ten commandments. And because they chose not to keep those Ten Commandments, many times they were taken into exile, which means other enemies came in from Syria and from Babylonia, and they took control of the, the Jews, and they exported them out of Israel. They had to, like, leave their country. This happened over and over. The whole cycle was this, is that They would disobey the laws that God had given them. He would curse them. They would be exiled. They would repent. 
they would change their mind about how they behaved and they would again begin to obey God for a period of time that would work and then they would begin to disobey God and they would just continue to repeat this cycle. So at one point in 586 B.C., the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he takes captive the Israelites again because they once again had disobeyed the law. And he exports them to Babylonia. This is the whole book, of, not the whole book of Daniel, but Daniel is about that. And <clears throat> during that time, Ezra is a prophet. And they sit there and think, you know, we were told, we were told that if we just simply obey these laws, which, it now, which now was the Ten Commandments, which was now in Leviticus, 613 laws that were given to the Levitical priest, if we just would have obeyed those laws, we wouldn't be here in Babylonia right now taken into captivity. So obviously, we need something to protect us even more than just those laws there. Let's build on to those laws and make more laws so the people will be more obedient because that's what the law is supposed to do. It's supposed to tell us how to behave, and if we do those things, then obviously everything will be perfect. So a group of priests and leaders get together and they come up with these additional laws that they add to the Mosaic law. Now, these new laws weren't as important as God's Mosaic law, but let's just say it helped God's law. It put a support system around God's law because God's law needed support. And so now they have more laws to protect themselves, to be obedient to, and to keep them from being exiled. So this went on, and then that generation died out, and a new generation comes along. And this new generation now has God's Mosaic law, plus they have the oral laws that were written by the previous generation. And come to find out, those laws that were written by the previous generation, they weren't even effective. They needed more laws. So this second generation decides that they're going to come up with more oral law, but we have much respect for the previous generation, so let's make their oral law as important as God's Mosaic law. Let's say that it, their laws are just as important as what God's given us. And then we'll even supplement those laws and make it even safer for people to be obedient so that, again, we won't be exiled. Then, believe it or not, these men were arrogant enough as the years went by to say that our laws... Our new laws are just as important as the previous generations, 
and as the Mosaic law. Did you get this? God gave them laws, made it pretty simple at first, then got a little bit more complicated. That wasn't good enough, so then now man had to add to it. And they've made this important. So much that this oral tradition that these men have come up with was collected into a book called the Mishnah. And here is the Mishnah. 800 pages of laws that added to God's Mosaic law. Now, this was actually written and put together in 220 A.D., but this little book right here is full of excitement. I mean, if you thought reading Leviticus was bad, 613 Levitical laws, you ought to, like, crack this thing open. I'm asked the the Mishnah reader, the official Mishnah reader, to come up here. Come on, Brent. Now, six years ago, we went through the Gospels, and Brent is a insurance guy, and he, re- you know those insurance policies that don't make sense? That's what he does, is he reads these things, and so uh, I put him on the spot six years ago, and I'm putting him on the spot here today, is I'm going to have you read my favorite section in the uh, Mishnah. Will you come up here? Come on upstage. Don't be afraid. It's not so bad. I'll stand here with you. This is my baseball wife, wife by the way, if you didn't know that, so we go to games together all the time. But uh, I'll just take this and read that little section and this one over here. You know, you've read that before. So this is the excitement that's in the, the oral tradition that any good Jew, any good Jew, any Pharisee is going to memorize this right here. They memorize this thing because it's as important as the Mosaic law. So imagine memorizing this. The hands are susceptible to uncleanness, and they are rendered clean by the pouring over them of water up to the wrist. Thus, if a man had poured the first water up to the wrist and the second water beyond the wrist, and the water flowed back to the hand, the hand becomes clean. But if he poured both the first water and the second beyond the wrist, and the water flowed back to the hand, the hand remains unclean. If he poured the first water over one hand alone and then bethought himself and poured the second water over both hands, they remain unclean. Wow. If he poured the f- if he poured the first water over both hands and then bethought himself and poured the second water over the one hand, and his one hand alone is clean. If he had, s- if he had poured the water o- over the one hand and rubbed it on the other, it becomes unclean. But if he rubbed it on the head or on the wall to dry it, it remains clean. The water may be poured over the hands of four or five persons side by side or one above the other, provided that they lie but loosely together so that the water may flow between them. I'll stop you there. Thank you. You can have your seat. Thank you, Mishnah Reader, official Mishnah Reader. Uh, It goes on and on. Like there was another whole paragraph just like that. But I think that you get the understanding of what we've read here. 
This is like, this is ridiculous. It's crazy. But they, this was the Jewish tradition. This is what they believed as being holy. That this was as important as God's Mosaic law. And so, understand this. All the Pharisees up to this point believed the Mosaic law plus the oral tradition. Including John the Baptist. That's what they were raised. This is what the disciples were raised up. We're talking Peter, James, John. They were all raised up. Not only the Mosaic law, but the oral tradition that the Pharisees were teaching all Jews at that time. This was the water that they were swimming in. 800 pages of laws. He read one paragraph on one page. It's crazy. You're welcome to read this if you would like. And that takes us to the context of where we are today in the Scripture. We just finished Jesus calling one more of his disciples, Matthew the tax collector. And now we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, verse 33. And Jesus at this point begins to use the term parable. Parable is actually a biblical term. And a parable literally means to cast alongside. That Jesus would take this parable and he would tell an allegorical story and it would go alongside with a truth that is probably hidden. It's interesting that if you look this up in the Webster's Dictionary, that it will associate parable with actually Jesus. This is something that Jesus has done. And so today, we get to one of Jesus' first parables. We've probably got around 35 parables to go. Not today. But it is amazing if you can see the thread that runs through every parable, and hopefully we will bring that alive to you in this study. In verse 33 of Luke chapter 5, it says, Then they said to him, This would be, who's they? This would be the Sanhedrin, those that have like watched Jesus already cleanse a Jewish leper, which had never been done before. And now they're going, is this the Messiah? We're going to follow him. We're going to watch him. We're going to observe him. And now we're even going to ask questions to him because we need to know if he's the Messiah. We're pretty sure that he's not. And all we have to do is prove that he's not. It says, when they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers and those of the Pharisees do the same. But yours eat and drink like the ones Jesus has already called as disciples, Peter, James, John, Matthew, are hanging out with them, and they could care less 
about the rules in that Mishnah. They just eat. Remember, they're teenage guys. Hey, we don't have to do this. We're hanging out with Jesus. Jesus said to them, You can't make the wedding guest fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. Here's what Jesus just said. Look, there's a wedding that's about to happen. There's a wedding that is about to happen. Right now, the bridegroom and the groom are together, and they're hanging out. Why would they not partake and eat together? Why would they not just enjoy life together while they are together? There's going to be a moment when they're not together. And that would be the time that they would actually mourn and fast. But right now, I'm here hanging out with my boys, and we're going to chow. We're going to party. We're going to live life together the way that it was intended to be. And he says this in a way to the Pharisees that they really don't understand. And then he says this. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise... The new wine will burst the skins. It will spill and the skins will be ruined. But new wine should be put into fresh wine skins. And no one after drinking old wine wants new because he says the old is better. Now, that's awfully confusing. But if you look at it kind of closely, there's two key words there, right? What are the two key words? Old and new. The old and new, they don't go together. When Jesus is referring to the old, what's he referring to? May I help you? When he says, you can't put new wineskins in old new wine in old wineskins he's saying this i've come i'm bringing something new i'm going to teach you something new and you can't mix it with this right here because it won't work they don't go together you can't take a little bit of this and a little bit of the new and mix them together. Because this will contaminate the new. <laughs> Are you hearing this? Like, let's bring this up to 2017 real quick. You realize that Jesus has come with a whole new covenant. Yet we take... And, and, and honestly, I get it because I, I was there and I did it. 
I even took the, the, forget the Mishnah, forget the Mishnah. I took the word of the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant actually being from Genesis almost through the end of the Gospels, and saying, this was written for me, and this is what I was raised learning the Ten Commandments. I was raised learning that I had to be obedient to the Ten Commandments. If I was going to be a good Christian person, I had to obey those Ten Commandments. And if I didn't, then every night I needed to get down and I needed to pray and confess my sins, name them one by one, try to remember every one of them, and ask for forgiveness. That's what I grew up understanding from my church, my Sunday school teachers, my mom, my parents, my grandparents. That's what I learned. It's innocent. Like, you take this, you take this and you say, this is God's word, it's holy, and I need to be obedient to it all. But then, years later, I learned to read this thing in the context of what it was intended for. That there is an old covenant over here and a new covenant over here and they don't mix together. Like God brought the old covenant for the Jews. It wasn't even intended for me. It was for the Jews. I'm a Gentile. A Gentile being anybody that's not a Jew. You're a Gentile. This was never intended for you. The new covenant, you're absolutely included in. And Jesus is like saying this in parable form to these Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, and they just totally miss it. They totally miss it. And then we jump to John chapter 5. This is... If ever I had a hero, it was Jesus. This is a hero move right here. In John chapter 5, verse 1, he says, After this, a, a Jewish festival took place. We don't know if it's the Passover. We don't know if it was one of the other feasts. But it just says, a Jewish festival took place. That means they were eating. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and by the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the sick, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, waiting for the moving water because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Today, you can go over to Jerusalem and northeast of the Temple Mount, they have actually excavated this area where the Bethesda pool is. Like they have located it, found it, dug it out, 
and you stand at the top and you look down and you go, oh my, that's a long way down there. And it held water. And and literally the lame, the sick, the paralyzed would just like lay there day after day, after month after month, year after year after year and just lay there because occasionally an angel, I'm not sure what that looked like, would touch the water and the water would stir and they would get in and they would get in the water and the first one in got healed. So you would just like lay there like a lottery and just wait for your time. You get in there, you go to a bathroom break and you miss it, you miss out. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. But this place was covered with sick, paralyzed, lame people. And then it says this. The first one who got in after the water was stirred up recovered from whatever ailment he had. One man was there who had been sick for 38 years. It doesn't say that he laid by the pool for 38 years. He's just been sick for 30. That's a long time. My neck and back has been bothering me for about a year, not 38 years. I can't imagine if that was my whole life. 38 years, I don't know what his sickness was. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? (laughs) That's pretty cool. Like Jesus, Jesus literally looking you eye, looking you in the eye and saying, Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Sir, the sick man said, I don't have a man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. It's like every time someone jumps in front of me. No matter how long I've been here, I can't get there quick enough. (laughs) The man's laying there, and Jesus says, do you want to get well? And he's thinking that Jesus is going to, like, be there for him to, like, get him in the water first. Like, oh, this guy might help me. He's literally thinking, this is going to help me get into the water quicker. And Jesus told him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. I don't know what his sickness was. I don't know what what was wrong with him. But Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and take off. And the man had to feel it. Like it says, he got well. Before he ever picked up his mat, he was well. He was well, and he got up and picked up his mat, and he took off. (laughs) This is crazy, because he didn't even get Jesus' business card. 
It says, now that day was the Sabbath. Page 100 starts 20 pages of rules about the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your mat. You see, God said keep the Sabbath holy, right? Keep the Sabbath holy. They, they couldn't do that on their own, so they made laws to help people keep the Sabbath holy. They made 1,500 laws to keep the Sabbath holy. And they memorized them. That's crazy. So now they're busting this old man who's like been laying there forever. And he says, you picked up your mat. That's illegal. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. He blame shifted. Like, literally, you guys, I was so excited about being healed that this man healed me. And he told me to pick up my mat and go. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk? Like they didn't already know. It says, but the man who was cured did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. You're going to find that this happens often with Jesus. He does his thing, he says his thing, and he slips out. Why? Because it's not his time yet. And somehow God provides a safe passage for him to get out of a frightful place. It says, after this, Jesus found him, this man that he had just healed, in the temple complex and said to him, See, you're well. Don't sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. It's kind of like the whole Israelite thing, right? If you sin, you're going to be cursed. But if you don't sin, you'll be okay. You see, Jesus came in and he taught the law. He knew the law. He didn't teach this. He taught the Mosaic law, God's law, not this. This was man's oral tradition. Didn't want anything to do with this. In fact, you'll see that he did everything he could to break every one of these. That's a hero move. That's a real man move. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they're going to do to me. I don't care about this. The only thing that I care about is my father. It says, the man went and reported to the Jews... It was Jesus who made him well. He got his business card now. And he went back and he said, Hey, look, I'm not at fault here. It was Jesus. He's the one that did it. And you know that the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees go, Oh, man. He's healing more people. He's, he's making more signs that he really is the Messiah. We've got to deal with this. It says, Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. You're breaking the laws. You're not supposed to be doing any work on the Sabbath, especially healing. But Jesus responded to them, My Father is still working, 
and I am working also. That's a hero move. He's like, guess who my daddy is? This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. We got to get rid of this dude because he's not only breaking our laws, but he's committing blasphemy. And then Jesus goes into this long explanation. He replies, I assure you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own. Him being the Son. But only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does these things in the same way. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Like, what you've seen is pretty cool. But wait till you see what my Father does through me. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives life, so the Son also gives life to anyone who wants it. Can you imagine their faces, the Pharisees? The Father, in fact, judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Look, there is a judgment that's coming for everyone. I promise you. There's a judgment that speaks about in the Scripture. As for me, I'm under the judgment seat of Christ. That being this, that He has already redeemed me, that He has already made me whole, that He has already made me perfect, that He has already forgiven me, that He has already done it in my life. And the only thing that I'm going to be judged for is the works that I do in Christ's name, in Christ's power. That's it. Everything that I do in my flesh, it's gone. That's the judgment seat that I will be judged at, and it's going to be a glorious day. It will be one day I don't want to miss. It's going to be awesome. Now, as for those who don't know Jesus as the truth, talks about in Revelation a great white throne judgment when he will actually say to them, depart, and they will be cast in the lake of fire. I'm not in that judgment. That's not my judgment. Jesus has already taken care of me. He's already made me whole. He's already forgiven me. He says, I assure you an hour is coming is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. Jesus is going to take care of the judgment. He's been placed in charge of all judgment. 
Do not be amazed at this, because the time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of judgment, just as we said. I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's like, the whole time, this isn't really about me, but I've been given the authority. I may be the one doing what you see, but it's actually the Father who's doing it. You see, everything that you're seeing miracle-wise, it's my Father working through me doing it. If I testify about myself, my, tone, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies about me. And I know that testimony he gives about me is valid. He's now speaking about John the Baptist. You asked about John the Baptist. Yes, he has given valid testimony. He has said that he has come to prepare the way. I'm the one that he was preparing the way for. You have sent messengers to John, and he has testified to the truth. I don't receive man's testimony, but I say that these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning, shining lamp for a time. You were willing to enjoy his light. Now you've let Herod arrest him, arrest him because he spoke the truth. And now, because Herod has him, you guys have abandoned John the Baptist. Like, you don't want to be associated with them because you don't want to be associated with what Herod has accused him of. You've given up on him. He closes out, But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time and you haven't seen his form he's like didn't you see when i was baptized like god spoke he actually sent the spirit that rested on me and you guys didn't even see it you don't have his word living in you because you don't believe the one he sent you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them yet they testify about me. You pour over this right here because you think there's life in this. You think that it will protect you, and it won't. But if you look at this law, if you just look at this law, it's all about me. I've come to fulfill this law. He says, And you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. I do not accept glory from men, but I know you that you have no love for God within you. I have come in my Father's name, yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe? While accepting glory from one another, you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses. This is the Mosaic law. Your accuser is Moses on whom you have set your hope. 
you think that you can live out this law and you're missing it. You can't live out the law. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. He wrote that there would be a fulfillment. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You see, my hero is now spitting fire to these Pharisees and these Sanhedrins. He's like, you guys don't get it. You guys don't get it. The law thing, keep making your laws, keep making your laws, keep trying to protect yourself, keep trying to live up to that. You're not going to live up to that, so you make more laws to protect yourself. We keep going 2017, we're still trying to protect ourselves. And all he wants to do is like look him in the face and say, you want to get well? You want to get well? All you have to do is believe that I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. I'm the one that God sent. You want to get well? Trust me. My dear friend who passed away this year wrote this song I want you to hear.
Jacoby, uh, love the man, and uh, he's well. The truth is, he was well the moment he believed. Just didn't quite figure that thing out. And uh, don't trust me. Trust the word, what it says. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? Just believe. Pick up your mat and walk. Father, I pray those that are struggling in this room right now and uh, they really do want to be well they want to be healed whatever it is that they're dealing with I pray that you would give them well I know that you've already given them peace I pray that you just let it flow from them that you just allow them to, to, to walk in that daily rest that daily peace of us not doing it, but you doing it for us. It's the only way that it's going to work. It's the only way that we can be obedient, is you doing it for us. Lord, I pray that you would just give wisdom, enlighten us, teach us, allow us to discover new things about your word and who you are. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 